Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. The answer is it is too soon to tell. That, I think, is the correct answer to yesterday's survey question. Is it fair to blame President Biden for the collapse of Kabul? And I made clear yesterday that when I said Kabul, I was speaking expansively of Afghanistan generally. We had over 9,000 votes cast, 9,032. This is interesting. In the end, is it fair to blame President Biden for the collapse of Kabul? 55% in change said yes. The no's were 44 percent. But earlier in the day, while I was on air, it was running at like 80-20. I voted no. No, it is not fair to blame President Biden for the collapse of Kabul. I'll uh, summarize why that's my thinking again in just a moment. I hate to be repetitive. Uh, Today's survey question is predicated on Tom Friedman the Pulitzer Prize winner from the New York Times, who will join me momentarily. So I'm really looking forward to welcoming him back to the program today. The Washington Post, Karen DeYoung, Dan Lamoth, Susanna George, front page story, eerie tension settles over Kabul. There's relative quiet, at least as I'm speaking in Afghanistan. Nobody knows, you know, what's to come, but We also saw those images yesterday, that viral video that showed two people falling to their deaths from an airborne plane was one of the viral videos. Uh, At least seven people, according to the Associated Press, died in the chaos at the airport. I'm sure we all saw that relative to what came afterward, quote, in much of downtown Kabul, Monday was mostly peaceful. A stark contrast to the chaos at the airport. Stores were largely closed, but a few people still went about their business. Taliban fighters made their way through the capital in pickup trucks, bearing the group's white flags. Some set up checkpoints while others posed for pictures at well-known landmarks. But it was unclear to many whether the apparent restraint by the Taliban was a tactical move to allow foreigners to exit and lull the international community or a longer-term policy. Many Kabul residents speaking to reporters by telephone or online reported a sense of tense apprehension. Tom Friedman's piece in The Times says, we're really not going to know until the morning after the morning after. Friedman says, and he'll speak for himself momentarily, that The question is not whether the Afghan army was properly trained to fight. You don't need to train Afghans to fight. Instead, he said it's all about the lack of will that they had to fight. Was the U.S. mission a total failure? Here, he said, I'd invoke one of my ironclad rules about covering the Middle East. When big events happen, always distinguish between the morning after And the morning after the morning after, I don't think he means it literally. I don't think he means it as in, ah, you know, what do we think in the light of Tuesday as compared to Monday 
or Sunday. But it's a great piece, and it inspires today's survey question, which asks, do you agree with Tom Friedman? Could President Biden still be proved right in Afghanistan? The president spoke yesterday, came back from Camp David to the White House, addressed the nation, had a lot of interesting things to say. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on America's homeland. I've argued for many years that our mission should be narrowly focused on counterterrorism, not counterinsurgency or nation-building. That's why I opposed the surge when it was proposed in 2009 when I was vice president. And that's why, as president, I'm adamant We focus on the threats we face today in 2021, not yesterday's threats. We talked about this subject for a full two hours yesterday. Michael O'Hanlon was a guest on the program. He was excellent. If you missed him, you can find my interview with Michael O'Hanlon from Brookings on the SXM app. You can also go and, and listen to my daily podcast of the radio program because we wanted to make sure that we put it out there. When the dust settled from yesterday's program, I recorded yet another video. And and in less than five minutes, I said, OK, here's how I see the situation. I can summarize my view for better or worse in four observations. And my first observation was that a big mistake was made in Afghanistan. But I really wasn't talking about the exit. I can't defend the manner of the exit. But in the grand scheme of things, the bigger mistake in Afghanistan was made 20 years ago. The, the mistake was made in terms of how the mission was defined. The mission was flawed because the president speaks of this never having been about nation building. That's how he sees it. But unfortunately, at the time we went in, it was a matter of regime change or nation building. And instead of, as I like to say, a law enforcement sniper approach, go kill those responsible for September 11, it very quickly became a shotgun blast where we were taking over the entire country. That was the mistake. And now once we were in, we just couldn't get out. The second observation I continue to make is that the pace of this thing, the pace of the fall of all of Afghanistan to the Taliban, to me, is confirmation that this was absolutely inevitable. And the president pretty much said that yesterday. What's happening now could just as easily happen five years ago or 15 years in the future. You have to be honest. Our mission in Afghanistan has taken many missteps, made many missteps over the past two decades. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan. Two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America. And the buck stops with me. My third observation of four, the morning after, the morning after, if I'm parroting my next guest, Tom Friedman, why would we fight for those who won't fight for themselves? How could we possibly justify 
standing in harm's way when the people that were there to defend who, to the tune of $80 billion, have been equipped and trained, aren't willing to do it themselves. You just can't justify that. And as I said yesterday, our our efforts trying to instill democracy and acting through proxies are just no match for religious zealots. Religious zealots with a ton of patience, patience that that we in this country just just don't have. We make decisions in 140 character tweets here. We make judgments based on 20 second sound bites. That's not the way they are. And final observation, at least for now, because this subject's going to be with us for a long, long time. And I'm not so foolish as to believe that, you know, this is the final chapter and now we know how it's going to go. We're not going to go for a long time. You can blame President Biden for the execution. You can blame President Biden for the timeline. I mistakenly said on the program yesterday, I, I, I looked in a, uh, a forward-looking manner to next May, talking about the Trump-instilled deadline. I should have been looking backward to last May. But the bottom line is this. You can blame President Biden, I think, for the execution of our withdrawal. But in the big-picture sense I continue to believe that he did what his predecessors wanted to do but were unwilling to do because of the political cost. So I'm not here to pillory him on the overall judgment of getting out. I think it's the right call. Could it have been handled differently? For sure, it could. Okay. Thomas Friedman is the Pulitzer Prize winner. You know his work from so many great books, not the least of which is The World is Flat. He writes a column for The New York Times, and today it comes under the headline, Biden could still be proved right in Afghanistan. This is Thomas Friedman. Hey, Tom, thank you so much for coming back to the program. Really good to be with you. Thinking you need to train Afghans how to fight is like thinking you need to train Pacific Islanders how to fish. Explain. Well, this is a country that um, has either been at war with itself or the British, Russians, and Americans, um, you know, for uh, over a century. So um, there's one thing that Afghan males know how to do, and that's fight. Um, uh, And the question is not the way, but it's the will to fight. And um, these guys... uh, uh, clearly had the will, the greater will, than the people supporting the uh, Afghan government that we stood up. I love your characterization of we really won't know until the morning after the morning after. That, I guess, literally could be today, but I don't think you meant that it's today. I think you meant that the dust needs to settle. Absolutely, Michael. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'm officially an old fart. I've been doing this for 40 <laughs> years. And um, uh and I've covered a lot of uh, the big events in the Middle East. And, you know, I've often seen times there where, you know, the morning after, um, you know, Hezbollah, um, for instance, in the 2006 war with Israel, you know, they declared victory. We defeated the Israelis, you know. But the morning after the morning after is when, you know, you don't see the Shiite, go to come, Shiite guy come to the Hezbollah commander and say, excuse me, but I've lost my apartment house now. Like, what are you going to do for me? And um, And it turns out that now 15 years later, Hezbollah has never attacked Israel again, because the morning after the morning after, the real laws of gravity start to apply, and, um, and the real weight of, of history and geopolitics, and they realized it was not in their interest. So 
I think you really have to be patient. I, I've read some real nonsense in the papers the last couple of days. You know, this is this is Biden's Chamberlain moment. I mean, seriously? I mean, really? You're you're ready to say that? Um, because I, there was chaos one day at Kabul Airport. I, I um, was surprised by some of the people. Like I expect that in certain quarters, and I won't name names while you're on air. But there was one particular person who regarded this as his Bay of Pigs, and I thought, yeah. "Wow, that guy said that. That really shocks me." Yeah, I mean, it's just um, uh, you know, Kabul is actually quiet downtown. Um, I, I again, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I, I'm just. I'm just humbled by the moment, but but I certainly know that the 24-hour news cycle is not when you make these grand historical declarations. Well, and another great observation that you made is that this time around, the Taliban owns it, and they're going to have to govern. They're, they're going to have to interact with other countries, including the United States. Oh, my goodness, Michael. I mean, the challenges they will face, you know. They now have to engage with a very different population where millions of women and girls have been educated, uh, a population in, in Kabul and in the big cities where you have a lot of young people who are now really connected to each other in the world and want to realize their full potential. Now, you could, you could push back and say, yeah, Tom, that's all true. It's true in Iran, and look, what, look what's happened there. And I would say, absolutely, you know, that, that the guys with the guns may just choose to suppress all these people. But there's one big difference between Iran and the Taliban. Iran has oil, and the Taliban have none. They, they, they don't have two nickels to rub together. Um, and in, in, they're going to have to replace all that money the Americans were injecting into the Afghan economy. Uh, that was their oil. We were their oil. And their oil just got withdrawn. So they're going to have to really start to figure out how do we reach out. Once, in, once they reach out to the EU or America or Saudi Arabia or Qatar, we will be there with conditions. And so this is going to get very, very complicated for them very, very fast. Okay. And the other observation that I highlighted in the version that I printed out from Tom Friedman's latest in the New York Times was this. And let's also remember when the United States invaded Afghanistan in 2001, iPhones, Facebook and Twitter didn't even exist. So what's changed for them well, again, now that was six years before they existed. And what's changed is that 70% to 80% of Afghans, we don't know the exact number, now have cell phones. And a lot of them are smartphones, Internet-enabled. Um, it means they're downloading videos and TikToks, and they're generating them. And so the, the Taliban are going to be under so much more scrutiny. You can bet, you know, in, in two days there's going to be a raft of anti-Taliban jokes circulating on TikTok. So, you know... Um, Michael, they broke it. They own it now. And I think it's going to be a very, very sobering thing for them when the real laws of gravity of that start to apply the morning after the morning after. Whenever that may come. Do you have any exactly. idea when the morning after after the morning after is? Yeah. Well, there's always there's always one. But, um, you know, I, I, I just think you, you have to learn to not be smarter than a story. That's another lesson of mine from journalism. Don't be smarter than the story. You've got to let this story breathe and unfold. And I promise you, it'll surprise you, it'll surprise me, it'll surprise everybody. It'll surprise us on the downside, and it'll surprise us on the upside. But you've got to come at it with humility. You know, we invaded a country um, where not only we didn't even know the geography, how many Americans even spoke the language? So, you know, is it any surprise we had an intelligence failure and couldn't figure out what they were plotting or planning underneath our, our very eyes? So I, I just say approach this story with real humility.
And a final observation from Tom Friedman. This will play itself out in an area most vulnerable to climate change. Again, another huge change, Michael, since uh, 2000. Um, Afghanistan had like a record drought um, of its modern history in 2018. Um, Every climate study shows that part of the world is about to get more parched. Um, They're going to be probably really oil-deprived. Uh, sorry, water deprived. Excuse me. Um, uh, you know, in in the coming years, which again is going to be neat reason for them to have to reach out, um, and and it's just all not going to be so easy. And uh, I would suggest they are probably somewhat intimidated by that fact um, as we speak, as they sit in those chairs of the governing offices of Kabul and Kandahar and Herat. Uh, I bet they're more frightened today than celebratory. I would say yesterday, Michael, was the best day the Taliban will ever have. What a great observation. Tom, thank you so much for allowing me to intrude on your day. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Michael. Tom Friedman's piece is in all my social media. It's posted prominently on the website. Biden could still be proved right in Afghanistan. I love that last line. Yesterday was the best day that the Taliban will ever have. And I so agree with it. I I will tell you, the person who said that, we even pulled the sound, the person who said that this was Biden's Bay of Pigs. And when I heard it, just like Tom Friedman, and clearly he knew who I was talking about, it was Leon Panetta, of all people. And I thought, you know, that's the sort of thing that I I expect I'm going to hear in prime time on a certain network. But I didn't expect to hear it from Panetta. But here's what he said. Uh, you know, in many ways, uh, I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it unfolded quickly, and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine, and uh, that was not the case. Back in real time, if you're making a judgment, if you're making a decision based on yesterday, and you're watching those two bodies drop from a C-140 after thousands of people were clamoring to get aboard. And there's another image out there. It will become an iconic image. 600, I think, and 40 people all jam-packed into another cargo plane. Yeah, I can understand why folks' hair would be on fire yesterday. I, I thought it was deeply unsettling and playing itself out while it was on air yesterday. Today, it's more quiet, more measured. Tom Friedman says we don't know what's to come. I agree with him. He also says we're not going to know until the morning after the morning after. Today is literally the morning after. But that's not what he meant. So let's see. Let's see. Today's survey question at Smirconish.com parrots the headline of the New York Times story that he wrote, the essay that he wrote, Biden could still be proved right in Afghanistan. Do you agree with that? Yesterday, as I mentioned at the outset, the survey question asked, is it fair to blame President Biden for the collapse of Kabul? 55-45 was the result. Uh, Is this thing locked in right now? Is it the conclusion cemented? I don't think so, but I'm willing to give the president the benefit of the doubt on the judgment. Not the execution entirely, that's obvious. But the, uh, the decision overall to make the move, that's where I am 24 hours later. Where are all of you? Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Is America's primary system working? 
Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.